Welcome to the University of Manchester's North African Society podcast. We are a society that shares and celebrates the culture, history and diversity of North Africa from Egypt to Morocco. With this podcast, we hope to discuss a variety of topics including culture, history, taboos and much more. Check us out on Instagram at UOMNASOC or our website UOMNASOC.com to find out more about our society. Welcome to our very first episode of NASOC podcast. This is Zahra. So would you guys like to introduce yourselves and explain where you're from? My name is Sarah. I'm from Libya. My name is Abdul Salman and I'm from Algeria. And my name is Sinaya and I'm from Algeria and Morocco. Oh, wow. Okay, so we have pretty much all of North Africa covered except from Egypt right, and Tunisia. So today we'll be talking about what is it like to be a North African living in the UK? Okay, so I want to first ask you, Sarah, how well are you able to speak your mother tongue? Um, I can speak quite fluently. Um, that was, I think, my first language, actually. And when I went home, I just spoke it all the time with my family. So I think I can speak it quite fluently. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, how about you, uh, Sumeya? Um, I would say I'm like 85% there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't know words for certain things. So I would just say it in English mm-hmm. or in French if I know the word in French. But otherwise, I feel like I'm confident enough. Okay. And you, Um. Well, during my years as a kid, um, I didn't really speak much in the house. Um, but then I kind of refined it when I went to Algeria. Um, so I'll probably say I, I'm 90% fluent in it. Okay, 90% fluent. So, mm-hmm. Sumeya, you said um, how you, for example, you think you are 85% fluent, right? Um, mm-hmm. speaking so would you say that you have a language barrier sometimes when speaking with family back home yeah definitely a few years ago like basically when I was younger I would I don't know if I was just shy but I also was just like I can't say I can't say certain things so I'm just not going to talk at mm-hmm. all so people would be like why why is she not talking and they'd be like oh she's shy mm. um and then there'd be people who'd be like oh aguna wow <laughs> can you explain in english um, what, what aguna means please uh sometimes there's not even a tra- translation yeah. for certain words it's like someone who's hard oh, i really i don't know how to explain Mm. like okay. someone who doesn't talk much who doesn't interact that much who's yeah. always like marhof. like reserved and things like that yeah yeah oh wow okay so I want to actually hone in on what you're saying so would you say that or how would you describe then that language bar- impacted your ability to form relationships with family back home oh I think a very big in- impact because Mm. I have cousins who I don't even speak to. Like, you just say, salam, whatever, Mm. little small talk. But other than that, I can't even, like, Mm. I don't know anything else about them because I just don't speak to them. Whereas there are other cousins who, you know, 
um, I've developed more of a relationship with them. I could speak to them when they call us and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think also um, age is also an impact because I have cousins who are like 30 years older than me. So it's a different generation. Wow. Like, what am I going to talk about with them? And yeah. then I have cousins younger than me, a few just a little mm-hmm. older than me. So mm-hmm. when speaking to them, you've got like more to talk about. Yeah. Definitely. Like the older people, it's just the same old thing, like mm-hmm. yeah. cry. Blah, it, blah, blah. When you talk to these older people, it, um, or people that you don't really have an affinity with, does it? Do you feel a bit drained, like you have to perform almost, or wear a mask? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's that's such an interesting point you were saying, Sumeya. Um, especially about the elder generation, which actually makes me think about our parents. You know, so like it makes you feel quite limited in how you are able to communicate with these people. And like you said, sometimes they have a perception of you like, oh, she's just reserved or she's just stuck up. But in reality, you actually want to communicate, but you don't know how to, um, especially in your mother tongue. But yeah, let's let's talk about this generational thing. So for, you know, our parents. So I want to ask you, Sarah, um, have you felt like you are perhaps sometimes cannot relate to your parents um, because of, let's say, a cultural difference of because you were brought up, you, you spent a lot of time in the UK and they spent a lot of time back home in Libya. Do you sometimes feel like you're not really aligned with them in certain values or like, what do you think? Um, yeah, 100%. I feel like my parents, I feel like we can relate in certain levels, like when it comes to um, education and working and stuff like that. Like, I don't feel like we we're on the same point like same page when it comes to that but when it comes to different topics like more cultural things like what's what's acceptable or what's considered gayab or marriage expectations or stuff like that mm-hmm. those things I feel like we're not on the same page they are more like back still going on with like the older day thinking where we're more kind of like progressed with the way we thought we think about these certain things um so I feel like in ter- in th- in terms of that they've just kind of like not let go of certain ideologies and they brought it here into the UK that kind of don't really work in the UK it doesn't really work with how we are now in this generation yeah so yeah I don't feel like we're on the same page in those topics well then like how does that make you feel then sometimes if you're trying to have a discussion with your parents and the values are how does that make you feel it's frustrating but it also makes you kind of feel like okay whatever I'm, it makes you feel bad because you feel like if you're gonna go against what they're saying it's it's not wrong but it just kind of makes something that you're doing that is right feel wrong that yeah makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so that's the thing that's what's frustrating about it because I'm not doing anything wrong but I'm made to feel like I am doing something wrong mm-hmm. and it just it just puts you in a weird position yeah like you're stuck like in between two worlds sorry go ahead yeah Maya. And a lot, a lot of the restrictions they give to you, or they put on you, so, uh, so to speak, are they're not consistent. A lot of them are gender specific, right? Yeah, and gender specific, and also they kind of fit this like, like who we're around, if that makes sense. So if we're just alone, it's like a different opinion. If we're around people, it could be a different thing. If we're back home, it's different. It's just like it's hard to to know what you want me to do because in the UK. I can do this, but in back home I can't do that. Or back home I can do that, but in the UK I can't do this wow. type of thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, like, actually, what, yeah. sorry, go 
no, no, sorry. I was just going to like, like just mm. pick a fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to ask a question then. Um, for, so why do you think our parents changed the expectations of us um, back home versus here? Like what is so different about back home that they changed the rules with us, you know? Um, actually, Sarah, if you can answer that question, because I know you've lived a long time back home in Libya. I think it's the family. I think it's like the, it's a show off type of thing in terms of like, this is what everyone else is doing. You have to do it. You can't be the odd one out because then it will can't look bad. It will look bad on me. Um, so I think it's because we're all back home. We're all raised in the same way. What one person doing something different to the others or what's not known as like acceptable back home, you'll be, you'll look like the odd one out. But in the UK, because everyone's different, there's no one that stands out, if that makes sense. Wow. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's why there's that difference. Wow. That's actually such a, such a good point. You know, and I, I, I want to add to that, actually, with myself and my own experience. I feel like, like Sarah said, back home, there is a big um, pressure to maintain reputation as well. And perhaps with family back home, there is a competitive nature, like um, with, your, with the children to succeed, or perhaps for girls, like we said, um, there is a a difference in expectations between girls and guys and with girls there's a, there's a heightened pressure to maintain like um a demeanor where there's no where you're not doing anything you know um so there's all sorts of different pressures that we face i want to ask Jilly, um do you sometimes feel like let's talk about the let's talk about the topic of marriage now because i remember sorry you brought that up so so maya you brought up um sorry so may i want to ask you a question so do you sometimes feel like your parents might have certain marriage expectations of you that you feel like you don't want to fulfill? So, for myself personally, it probably doesn't apply to a lot of people out there, but my parents are more religious than cultural, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. So, culturally, there's an expectation that you just marry someone who's from where you're from. So, my case would be like marry an Algerian, uh-huh. um, marry someone like he works, who has a good family, etc. Uh-huh. But because they're more religious people than cultural people, they're more open to me and as well as like my siblings to have uh-huh. relationships with people from other countries. They're open to that as long as obviously they're Muslim Mm -hmm. um but there is still a bit of a concern on like culture clashes because obviously like if you compare like North African culture to I don't know like Indian culture it's completely different so there is the the thought of how would your kids be raised and that kind of thing and like we talked about language barrier that would get even that would become even more of a problem with kids who are in multicultural families. Yeah. But I would say in my fam- my family, well, with my parents at least, they're more open to marrying into other cultures, just obviously as long as they're Muslim and they're good people. Mm-hmm. But I would say back home, like my family back home, have a different expectation of marrying yeah. an Algerian and probably someone from there, like straight from there. Mm-hmm. which the big x big x don't ever do that i know loads of stories of people who've 
ended up in all these mashakil because they married someone literally straight from back home, born mm. and mitrabi for blood, mm. and they've had mad problems. Wow. So, but, yeah. yeah. But my family, I don't even care. They're not even going to be at the wedding, so I allow them. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Wow, yeah, wow, you actually, you brushed up on so many different points that just, you made me think of so many different things, like, especially when you were saying about how, like, for example, your parents are more open for you to marry someone as long as he has the same religion, right? Um, but I know that's sometimes not the case with certain certain parents. Feel mm-hmm. free, Sarah, or Bolochia, yeah. to jump in. But uh, I know people that are so strict when it comes to uh, whoever their child marries that they'd prefer that they marry someone from the same uh, country, but from the same city, they're both bo- tipping, you know? That's mm-hmm. my parents. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Same tribe, yeah. everything. It's the same city and a specific yeah. family name as well. It could be from the same city, but a different, like, of, like another family name that they don't consider as a high prestigious family or whatever. No. Like, it has to be a good family name with a good family reputation. And from back home, from the same, from almost the same city, I feel like there's some cities they'll give exceptions to. There's other cities that they'll say no to, and mm-hmm. he has to have like everything, all the criteria that they want. Nothing to do with what I want. Yeah, yeah. Their boxes are completely different to my boxes, and they don't mm-hmm. care if my boxes aren't met. Can I ask you a question, Sarah? Then what what boxes would you say are different that they want for you, and you know? For them, their boxes are like money, prestigious family, or like good family, and um, like he's he's a nice guy. Obviously, that's a that's a shared box, yeah. and um, his mom is nice. His mom needs to be very nice for some reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um yeah, and like he, that's that's really it for them, like them boxes, and then religion comes. I know it's a bit weird and. But they do prioritize family and family name and the family he's raised in, and then religion. It's it's quite weird. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's more like religion. Then I can get along with you. I can actually speak to you. I can actually have shared mindsets. They don't really think. They think like even if you can't get along at first, when you live together for however long, you will eventually get to know each other. Mm. And I just don't see how that is the case i don't know i don't know they don't like they don't believe in initial attraction or like like attraction in in general i don't know it's weird Mm, it's very it's very like business oriented right it's like a transaction rather than a relationship yeah yes for me i can't lie um kiwi uh you know (laughs) you can um you know testify to this we don't talk about marriage at all in my family like we don't well mom mom has never I think over the last 10 years, she's probably talked about it like four times and just as a meme, um, as long as the person's good. I mean, if you ever think about it, right, there's like 8 billion, well, there's like 4 billion girls <laughs> um, in this world, right? So there's like a lot of, there's like thousands of good girls in every region, like in every, um, you know, country. So it's like the whole like restricted the domain to only get specific people from one um area it's it's kind of i don't know it's just it's not really mm. practical or re- yeah realistic do you know what I mean? like it's like mm. i mean there's people in japan that i'll probably get along with um as much as people from i don't know from from a different country so mm. again life life is an abundance and you'll find nice people everywhere um 
yeah, that's just my mentality. And yeah, obviously there's criteria. Like I have to be attracted to you and um, you have to be um, a good person, right? But beyond that, I don't really think about marriage at all. Mm. Well, okay. You know, that's that's actually so interesting, you sharing that with I feel like that's actually a common theme amongst men and women. Um, in that certain men, they might not feel this the pressures of marriage that women would Americans as well, which which highlights essentially the again the mismatch of pressures that are placed upon men and women um in our culture, you know. Um actually um hone in on what Sarah said before in that the parents, your parents are very concerned with a good mother in law, you know. So I want to share some something from Algeria. Culturally, it's actually um somewhat normal for when a woman marries she moves in with her mother-in-law and the son is anyone else seen this back home yeah yeah on rare occasions rare occasions for for me i don't know why from where where i'm from in algeria it's actually seen as kind of a norm where the the daughter would move in with the son and the mother-in-law you know um so that's a very very cultural thing um, and I want to actually um, hone in as well on what you said before, Sumeya, about how there is a big um, clash when in marriages when there is someone marrying from here to someone back home. I want to ask you, um, is it usually a man or a woman that they marry back from back home? From the stories I know, it's usually a man. Okay. So... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, go on, go on. So why would you, like, where does the clash come from then? Would you say the aqliya is different? Mm. Even the aqliya in Jubail between men and women is completely different. Yeah. The man is meant to be the breadwinner, the man of the house, whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you're if they're marrying someone like from here, mm-hmm. the the woman is usually like Qarya, she has a job, she has a car, she probably has a house. And then it's like the man is pretty much only marrying her for visa, not gonna lie mm. visa and passport so <laughs> yeah usually it's like i'm married to you now so you can give me some of your money i can come to you everything you own is mine yeah and then they kind of get cocky about it and they're like and then after a while they're like you need to stop working you need to have children yeah. stop working mm. and all all this kind of stuff and it doesn't really work because sometimes they live apart yeah and sometimes he like moves to the UK and then probably leave, leaves her because literally like I said because of visa they just need papers to get here so what does he do with what, sorry what does he do when he leaves her does he get with someone else yeah or they literally just use that person to get here to be able to get a job here and to live here and to get like even oh, British wow. citizenship even mm. Wow, that's that is so, very unfortunate. I've, it's a scam. Yeah, I, I've got another question. Why, why don't these girls, like Algerian girls, why don't they just get with an Algerian guy here? Usually, it's fa- like family from ah. back home. They'd be like, "Oh, we found your dad. You need to marry him." And they say all this stuff like Nestle has a nice family. Yeah, Nestle, yeah. yeah. He, he has he has a job. Mm. In quotation marks, that man do job. Yeah. Like he works. So it's literally all a scam. It's just to get. 
it's basically just a pathway to get to the UK. Yeah. Essentially for free, to be honest. Wow. That is that is sort of like um, everyone should just be super super careful if there is someone back home that wants to marry you and leave everything behind like for, for what reason you know well I, have you guys heard of a story or any experiences where let's say a man marries someone from back home how does that turn out usually compared to a woman marrying a man from back home um, i've never really heard of that yeah i don't think i've heard mm. of a man marrying Woman back yeah, I don't really. I don't know. Again, I don't really talk about marriage with my friends, so I don't know if they're married or not. Because it'll be interesting to see how that works out, you know. Because I feel like um, women from Algeria, um, a lot of the times they're brought up to be very um, agreeable. They're brought up to be very like ple- they try to please their men in their family. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works out versus you know. But yeah. Um, so I've got another question. Um, you keep talking about like Algerian that get married to you know in the Algerian context right but you're half Moroccan like don't you how do how do I say this question now like what do you get what do you consider getting married from someone in Morocco or from Morocco so to speak yeah I definitely would I'm open to any oh okay okay yeah I just misinterpreted what you said Uh yeah by the way to anyone listening yeah I said um half Algerian half Moroccan but my parents were raised in Algeria I always go to Algeria everything is basically Algeria and Morocco is just like we just go there a couple couple of times Mm. and I just have a bit of family there but they're Mm. distant family but yeah Algeria I want to be with Lazarie obviously (laughs) Sarah I've I've got a question for you Sarah so you know how you went to Libya right and you lived there for an extended period and you came back and you said that there was like a culture um it was like a culture uh like the culture here was just different right um and you had to adapt to the culture here and all that um how long did it take you to adapt and how was the experience overall um to adapt to the uk yeah um I feel like it took me until I got to uni. So I, I did my A-levels and uni here. And my first two years of, uni, of A-levels, I didn't, I could not adapt. I found it so hard. I was always at home. I didn't do anything. It was a really, really hard time, them two years. I was just homesick the whole time. I found this place so different. Like everything would close at five and the dark, it was always dark at three and it was raining all the time and Obviously, I'm from from when I'm home back home. It's just sunny. Mm-hmm. Everything closes at like twelve a.m. Like we were always out and about, and no one was around. There was I was just alone. But then when I went to uni, I feel like um, I feel like I met other people that were we were saying like it felt like I was kind of like you know seeing people of my same culture, mm-hmm. same everything, and I started to meet like people with like-minded like mindsets because when I was in I was in Blackburn for my A-levels there was just no one there but then Manchester's more diverse so meeting people kind of got me better so I feel like the people have made my experience in the UK um a much better experience but if it was just down to the UK no I hate the UK so (laughs) (laughs) if if you were born if you were born in you where you born in the UK Sarah Nottingham okay so if you stayed in Nottingham 
till the very end and he never went to Libya, how do you think that Sara would have been and would you have gotten along with that version of Sara? <laughs> no. No. Like would, no, 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 no. I feel like I would have been so different. I feel like... I, yeah, I feel like I just would have been so, so different. I don't even know how to... I wouldn't even be able to picture that. A lot of my personality and character came from what I experienced in Libya. Mm-hmm. I was there for most, for most of my growing up. I feel like I came to the UK after I grew up. So A-level, I feel like we're kind of grown at that point. So yeah. I feel like, yeah, I just felt like all of my experience and the, my personality is down to the fact that I went home with my family and my experiences and my friends and the way I was brought up. So mm-hmm. no, I would be so different and I wouldn't get along with him. Yeah, there's so, certain things that you, you learn that kind of transcends school. Like I'm sure you've learned specific lessons and you went through certain experiences that kind of molded the person you are get today. The grid and I experienced freedoms very refreshing. Um, mm. Like when you do something, it's no one knows about it. And at the same time, it's, it's it usually happens on a much less, the, the scale it, it happens on is much lower. And it may, it may not be as exciting or as flashy as some of the events here, but it, mm. what it is, is it's more wholesome and it feels more genuine. And mm. that's the common theme. Like people over there are just more, they're just more genuine. I don't, maybe that's because they don't really go on, on social media as much. So they don't need to pretend that everything is good in their life. Mm. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to pretend to know, but all of the people over there and experiences, they just feel very real, right? Very mm. primal. Um, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and a lot, another thing is that there isn't um, the support system over there is is non-existent, right? So I remember growing up there, I had to do everything by myself. I had to cook, I had to clean, right? I had to go outside and, and work on certain things. So you are forced to take accountability at such a young age. But this is the this is not all of Algeria. This is just a broke village that I was. I was raised on right so you have to do a lot of things by yourself and I it may sound a bit um, miserable to people but I think it's really really good because what it forces you to do is it, it makes you it forces you to take on um, it forces you to take control of your own life right because a lot of people here they don't really have jobs right they don't really do things their parents feed them everything and they're kind of shielded and caged from the from the you know from the real world. Um, so I feel like my experience was very good in the sense of like it allows me to take risks and it allows me to you know self-reflect, take accountability, and mm. and yeah, that's pretty much my experience. Mm, wow. Okay, that's that's so powerful what you said. Um, I really liked what you said that, for example, like your experience being brought up back home is that you were forced to mature at a very early age, you know, because perhaps we are more exposed to the realities of life back there. Um, For example, it's just an example that came to mind is um, the way that life over there, um, people experience a lot more accidents. That's just something I've experienced in Algeria. There's a lot more like um, the healthcare system, particularly where I was, brought up in wasn't as good as here so you you hear of deaths quite frequently um and so you're very like exposed to the realities of life and mm. like you said um a lot of the work that is, is practical hands-on like farm work and things like that so you are you are forced to bear those responsibilities from a very very early age yeah um, but I just, 
Yeah. Another thing is when you view it from the Western perspective, it all seems like very barbaric, very negative. But I can't lie, um, not being under, not being addicted to Instagram, or not being addicted to the internet, or not being just like saying whatever you want, acting in a way that you don't really give a crap about anyone else. I feel like that way was that way was just very refreshing. And when I go back to Algeria <laughs> and there's like a human there who is void of any of these under underpinnings where they need to pretend or act like they're perfect, I'm like, yo, you're a real human. I can talk to you. You know, you show real emotion, which is, <laughs> it sounds weird, but it's like, they seem like real humans. It's, I don't, I don't yeah. know how to explain it. It's, you know, it's funny what you're saying, right? Because that's my experience too. And I, when I lived in Algeria, things are, I feel like a lot more genuine. Um, I feel like this is, okay, Sarah and Samaya, feel free to chip in at this point. But I feel like people that are not as fake, they're not really, they don't wear as much as a mask. There is no filter. They kind of just say what's on their mind. Versus say, I feel like in our society here, things are very um, smooth and sometimes not very genuine. But I feel like that's changing that narrative in Algeria because um, when I used to live there like around 11 years ago there was no social media but now when you go back home there is loads of social media and you find like a lot of your cousins from Libya are from Algeria Morocco posting a lot on social media and you find that the society is becoming a lot more superficial um, that's just the way I'm, I'm seeing it now so it's interesting how like watching how that happens through time uh, but I want to ask Mulukhia another question then so how would you say you are treated as a North African and in Algeria Versus mm-hmm. how you are treated as a North African here in the UK. Uh, in Algeria, everyone knows that from the UK, right? So they they think um they treat me with like in they treat me with prestige, right? Oh, this guy's from the UK. He must be rich. He must be this, that, and the other, which is far from the truth. And me here, a lot of ethnicities such as like Pakistanis, they treat me really, really good, like almost too good. Uh, they don't even treat their own race to that standard, which is, I don't know, I think that's kind of sad. I'm not going to lie. Um, because, like, you should treat everyone equally, and especially with they know nothing about me, right? They think I'm just a good person who's, who's, like, super religious, super, you know, I'm clever. I don't know what they think, but I'm not any of question. that. So why do, why do you think that the other ethnicities think that perhaps about north africans or let's just say about arabs in general that's you know yeah i don't know maybe maybe because they speak arabic and they uh-huh. they make the misconception that they are more religious because the quran is written in arabic i have no idea but again okay. i see it again and again and again and i'm like if i grew up as a pakistani and i mm-hmm. saw my pakistani peer who's pondering to a different ethnicity and at the same time they're not really treating their own ethnicity to the same standard i, I don't know i just don't feel good about that you know mm, okay that's that's actually really really interesting experience that that you had treated perhaps in a more in a better way than other people are even by you know, you know like, i'm not yeah. com- i'm not i'm not complaining that i get treated good everywhere <laughs> but the point no. is that it's not mm. again it's not real it's not genuine do you know what i mean yeah yeah, I understand. Okay, I want to ask the same question to Sarah. How how do you feel like you are treated um, by different ethnicities here in the UK? Um, I feel like I'm treated. Um, I feel like I'm treated quite well, actually. I don't feel like I've ever noticed that I was treated um, badly. If anything, I really like the um, 
the just the curiosity like in my cl- a lot of people that I've met are really curious about like Libya and just like they're constantly asking questions about uh, North Africa and I'll be asking them questions about their culture so our friendships and our like and the way we're treating each other is like very like respecting the fact that we're different but we also want to know the differences as well like mm-hmm. like we're curious about each other rather than thinking oh we're different we can't get along I think our differences make us get along if that makes sense yeah yeah well okay that's really nice I feel like that's something um that's unique a lot to the UK is because we're so multicultural and we've become a lot more accepting of one another you know um but I want to ask I want to ask a very somewhat of a controversial question okay so my question is uh so maybe I'm gonna ask you this question so have you ever felt like you were treated differently by certain Arabs because you are North African? Definitely, 100%. And I wouldn't say in the UK mm-hmm. because the t- the type of people around me or the ethnicities around me are usually South Asians um, mm-hmm. and probably some Iraqis and Libyans. Mm-hmm and like some Syrians that's pretty normal but this is not to bash anyone but I think the way North Africans are treated in general by Khalijis is like on a different (laughs) it's on a different level Mm -hmm. mainly here in the UK nothing nothing's ever been like a problem for me I've been brought up and raised in a very diverse area my schools were really diverse all my friends are from different ethnicities um so there's not really a problem with that sometimes there's like the odd stare or the odd comment from like random white people walking past me or whatever mm-hmm. and that's mainly based off I look Muslim and not because I'm North African okay mm-hmm. but from going back to your question right. about if I've experienced anything in terms of treatment from other Arabs, I would say not here, but definitely when I was in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. um, literally straight from the airport, you'd see them trying to, like, they'd speak to you differently as if you don't know Arabic, as if you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was on, you know, those airport buses that take you from the plane to yeah. the airport. Yeah. Um, I was sat down on one of the seats because usually there's like three seats in that whole bus and the rest of it is just space and you're meant to stand up but I was sat down and this Saudi woman comes and she literally made me stand up she was like um northy or something like that she was like get up mm-hmm. um I can only sit here and I was like sir are you wow. taking the mic I was like you think first of all you think I don't understand you second of all I'm gonna sit right here because mm. I can um and you see the way they treat some of their workers and stuff but that's like a different different topic but yeah yeah, I would say when I'm abroad but not really here in the UK yeah yeah wow okay that's that's such a that's such a wow like crazy experience that you had um I think what you were saying about how certain Arabs treat um treated you differently I, I want to just add to that I feel like it's not just unique to North Africans I think it might just be to like other other non-arabs anyway like everyone 
there might just yeah, be like definitely. yeah I think that's just the way some some are um mm. but yeah I want to actually hone in on on this topic and talk about language barriers then so let's I'm gonna ask Malukhia a question so Malukhia have mm-hmm. you ever experienced a language barrier talking to an to an Arab or another North African and how um how did they usually react to to your language um I remember in Arabic school so primary school I went to Arabic school and I was talking in my dialect you know Deja right I was, I was saying stuff like Wishraka Khuya and stuff like that <laughs> and uh they were like, wait, what are you saying? And I'm like, I'm speaking Arabic. And they were like, no, you're not speaking Arabic. You're speaking something else. Mm. And I'm like, am I? Um, and at the same time, the Khaliji people were speaking their Khaliji dialect. They weren't speaking Arabic, right? Speaking. So I experienced a culture barrier early on. And yeah, I overcame that by just speaking English. I stopped speaking my own dialect in Arabic. School. I was like, yo, like, I need to go to the toilet. She's like, Speak Arabic for sir. I'm like, no, I'm not a speaker. I can't be asked. And yeah, yeah. But, and usually, uh, it's not really Arabic for sir. It's a specific dialect of of the of the country that the teacher's from, right, or something. Yeah. yeah. I remember we had this te- uh, this Libyan teacher, and she was saying stuff like, uh, I remember she was saying stuff like, <sighs> she was actually pretty good at cut. Like she was saying stuff like dahia instead of boyd, which is eggs, right? And she was saying stuff like that. Um, so she was, although she was speaking her dialect, because Algerians, we live close to Libyans, I understood a lot of their words. But mm-hmm. contrary to like the Iraqi people, I couldn't understand a single word that they were saying. Um, so I don't know, they weren't really considerate. But beyond that, they were nice people, I can't lie. Mm. Wow, okay, okay. Yeah, I feel like, um, like Sumaya, you also added about Iraqi people. They're, they're more considerate, you know, um, to let's say North Africans and things like that. I've also experienced the same thing. And this is just me and my theory, but I feel like it's because some Iraqis also experience certain prejudices from other Arabs and things like that. So I think they're just more considerate in general uh, versus other types that, you know, might not have experienced such a thing. But anyway, this this has been such a great first episode. Everyone for sharing your insights and your experiences. I just want to have one final concluding question to everyone, but I'll start with you, Sarah. So if you could choose to live either back home in Libya or live here forever, where would you choose and why? Libya, 110%. I don't even need to think about it. Um, <laughs> I think for me, it's like, I always say this, when I'm in the UK, I feel like I always need to, I can accept being in the UK if I spend my summers in Libya. But mm. if I move back to Libya, I will never need to spend the summer in the UK. I will never think or crave the UK like that way I crave Libya. So mm. I think that's what always gives me my answer of like, yeah, I do. I understand that it's a different quality of life. And I do understand there will be compromises living back home. But those, um, I don't think I'm like blind to it because I've lived it before. But it's still what I'd, I'd want to live, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, that's great. Because like you're, you've lived in Libya for how many years, Sarah? Uh, nine years nine years so you've you've made that bond with Libya you've you've integrated you've it's a place close to your heart you know so I feel like you can you can say that with your chest because you lived in both countries you know um but yeah I'm gonna ask the same question from Lukhia um I'll definitely live here the reason why um so I do AI and Manchester is one of the AI capitals of the world um so just based on the opportunity like I'm not gonna and plus AI, there ain't much 
I mean, I can't do it. I can do. I can use it in Algeria, but not to the um, degree that I'll be able to use it here. So just based on opportunity and nothing else. Opportunity, just opportunity. Yeah, like I don't really, I don't really care much about. Actually, I'm not gonna go there. Um, so maybe, <laughs> what, what, uh, what sh- would you stay here or would you stay back home, Samaya? So with me, it's kind of a fifty-fifty because I've never actually lived in Algeria before, but I had. I used to spend a good majority of the year, not the majority of the year, but practically the whole summer, like three months mm-hmm. um, there. So I do have my fair share of experience. Yep. But also when I go there, I'm seeing it as like, I'm going there to visit family, maybe go to the beach for a few weeks. And then I know I'm coming back home, but I've never been there and been like, I'm living here. This is my house. This mm-hmm. is my room. Like this is my school, whatever. So I haven't had like that kind of experience, but living in the UK, it's, I would say on my family, it's been hard because we don't have any family here, like no uncles, no aunts, no cousins, just close family friends who I regard as cousins. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would wish to spend more time with my family, be closer to them. And after some had like touched on on like careers for him it's better here for me I would say I would say there could be opportunity because I do biomedical science so it if I did move there it could work out because there is like a big gap in the health service yeah. in Algeria so there could be opportunity there mm-hmm. but you know, I would wish to live there in the future. Obviously, I want a villa by the beach in a Mediterranean home. Yeah, that's the dream. That's the dream. Um, what about what about you, Kiwi? Where would you live? For me, honestly, um, everyone, what everyone has said, I feel like I can relate to. Uh, you know, just like Sarah, I lived in Al- in Algeria for quite a few years, so I do have a lot of bonds there, a lot of memories there, and just like Sumeya, my all my family are there, and. It would be nice to experience Ramadan there, to experience Eid there with all your family and to hear the air then when you walk down the street and um, just feel the, the sun on your face, that nice Mediterranean climate. Um, all these things I really do miss and cherish. At the same time, just as Mulukhiya said, there's opportunities here and I do like honour the privilege that we have to live here and to um, pursue our dreams and things like that. And so honestly, if, <laughs> I'd say 50-50, I cannot choose... Um, but okay. if I could, ideally I'd a career there, I think that would be very nice. Really? Is that is that the, the honest truth, Kiwi? It's <laughs> the honest truth. I actually really do like it. It's funny because when I went, okay. if you asked me a question when I was younger, I'd probably give you a different answer. But I feel like sure. going back to yeah, Algeria, yeah, because going back to Algeria, knowing what I know now, um, if you do live in a nicer area, um, you you can live very well, and you would have your family there. You know. Um, mm-hmm. it, well, like I said, if you can replicate the opportunities here and paste them over there, of course, I, I think I would choose there just based on that. But otherwise, I'd say 50 50. I, I can't lie. Um, if it was up to me, I wouldn't live anywhere. I'll just travel. So I'll spend like six months in Japan, six months in Canada. You know, that's what I would, that's my, um, my preference. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Great. Joining this first episode of. North African 
Society podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know what topics you would prefer us to talk about. Thank you very much. See you next time.